0: Hello and welcome to episode 48 of Destination Tokyo. I'm your host, Mark Shardlow. Thanks for all the feedback this week. It's been a really good one. And if you like to binge listen on these short podcasts, well, everyone this week has been a gem. We had Lauren and Marcus from the World of Babington on Monday about being bubbled at the most prestigious tournament in Britain, the All England. Steph Reid was here on Tuesday, the Paralympic long jumper, who shared with me some really good news and talked about specific issues that amputees may face in the heat for Tokyo, which I hadn't even considered. We had Archer Patrick Houston from Team GB pulling his faces and swinging his ropes on Wednesday. I've posted those images to Twitter. It's fascinating training that he does. And Claire Cashmore, multi-times Paralympic medal winner, on her brand new children's book yesterday. Well, today he's a complete Olympic and Paralympic nup. This week, he's won an award from the Sports Journalists Association, recognising his written work as a specialist correspondent, of course, covering the Olympics and Paralympics. When I linked up with him earlier, his office, well, it looked like an Olympic and Paralympic shrine. It is the BBC's Nick Hope.
1: (laughs) Well, like a lot of people over the last uh, 12 months, I've had a, a lot of time on my hands and doing a lot of Zoom calls. So basically decided to decorate my spare room with a lot of Olympic and Commonwealth and Paralympic memorabilia. So we have kind of the mascots from London 2012, Rio 2016, Pyeongchang, Sochi, Uh, Tokyo is up there as well. Now, I don't know if I'm tempting fate a little bit by having Tokyo up there because obviously it still hasn't happened quite yet. But uh, yeah, it's just a very colourful backdrop.
0: But you've got a road sign that says Olympic Village. What's what's where's that from?
1: <laughs> so that is a 2012 one. I didn't steal it. I got. I saw it um, towards the end of the games and had one made up. So I didn't actually uh, peel that one off the walls on my way out of the games. <laughs> um, what's the medal? But uh, so yeah, and I've got the replica medals from each of the games. So that's a London one. Uh, and if I go down, we've got a Pyeongchang, a Sochi, a Vancouver. So that was my first games, 2010 uh winter olympics and then up there there is a concept one of what they will look like in tokyo so you know just something that sparkles a little bit in the background but not ones obviously that i've won
0: <laughs> that's amazing well you're a decent swimmer so you, you know you've, you've been knocking at the door almost let's say
1: <laughs> not quite at the trials sadly
0: I, I i've been going through sort of my memories i'm a bit more like paper so mm-hmm. I've got all like the schedules. My family <laughs> think I should just chuck out. When you think back to all the games that you've covered and you've got the memorabilia there, which ones like lift the heart? Is London too obvious?
1: Do you know what? Actually, there are a couple in here. So there's like uh, this one. I'll, I'll point to here is one called uh, Nanjing Lily. Which was from the Youth Olympics in 2014, um, and it's all multicolored, little sort of almost cartoon character, and that's probably one of my favourites actually because those games were just so special. Covering the Youth Olympics is amazing because it's for you know 16 to 14 to 18 year olds. It's their first experience of a multi-sport event. Um, although I did the Winters in 2012, uh, that was in Lausanne. Uh, this one was the the first ever the first Summer Games uh, that I'd attended, and you know just the atmosphere there over in China was was incredible. The, the, The athletes were so excited to be at an event like that, to sample something for the first time. And you get really close to the athletes and the coaches at those games because it's all about not just the results, but it's about the experience. So that when athletes do go to a senior games, be it four or eight years after that, they're not overwhelmed by the prospect of going into you know an athlete's village and the food courts and then seeing superstars everywhere so that is probably yeah one of my favorite medals
0: just pause a second i'm just going to ask you quickly which athletes from those games have gone on to be part of like hopefully knocking on the door for tokyo
1: so we've had a range over the years. So remember the very first one, so that was in Singapore 2010, where you had Jay Jones won a gold medal. We had Sam Oldham was there as well, the gymnast. He won bronze just two years later at uh, London 2012. Obviously, you know Jay Jones won won the gold. You've had uh, Tom Daly. He was also at uh, the Singapore Games. Uh, and yeah, over over the years, loads have come through. It's usually So the last one that we saw, which was in uh, Buenos Aires, in 2018 you'd usually expect the stars from that not to necessarily come through for Tokyo it's taking them a little bit longer now so they will be the ones that come through for Paris uh, 2024 um, but you do have Caroline Dubois actually the boxer your know, superstar boxer dubbed you know the, the new Nicola Adams she won gold there in Buenos Aires and we are expecting her to qualify for Tokyo so she's definitely one to, to, to look out for
0: oh so it's a definite pathway then yeah so I stopped you mid flow there that was that was one of your two favorites what was your second one going to be
1: of, of these that are on the wall, I, obviously, I love the, the Team GB Golden Lion that we've got up there. But actually, you know, the Gold Coast games there. So that is uh, Boraby the, uh, the mascot from uh, 2018. They were just, um, you know, there's a lot of question marks about whether the Commonwealth Games has... A long-term future because there haven't been many bidders for the games and you know it seems to jump back between Australia and Great Britain maybe Canada will step in for 2026 it's obviously in the UK in Birmingham uh, next year but that one was a a real celebration of sport for me Um, it wasn't just the amazing sporting success the atmosphere around the whole games there in Australia was incredible and it was really embraced by people people from so many different nations, and you realise that outside of the Olympics and the Paralympics, there are other events that mean an awful lot. To athletes and and some, I don't want to say smaller nations, but not some of the um, the most high profile ones. You know, the ones that don't have the funding to be able to invest in facilities to be Olympic medal contenders can have their moment in the sun at the Commonwealth Games, and that's why I think it really is a very very special event. And that's why, although it's an Olympic wall on the on the whole, there are a few Commonwealth uh, moments in there as well: Gold Coast and uh, and Glasgow, and, and a little bit from Delhi.
0: Yeah, I loved the Gold Coast. My Facebook memories are starting to pop up from three years ago, uh, and it was a really special Games. Yeah, just looking over your shoulder there, I noticed Tonga. And when it comes to the reports that you've uh, made for the BBC and written for the BBC Sport website over the last 12 months or so, which led to your award, Tonga has a special place.
1: Yeah, it really does. So I was very fortunate to go out in... Uh, the beginning of t- it was before everything went uh, went crazy, really, the world the way that it is right now, over to uh, to Tonga to meet the uh, Tongan flag bearer from the uh, Rio 2016 game. You know, he was dubbed the topless Tongan, Peter Taufer to four. Um, if you remember, he walked out basically oiled up in traditional attire. He'd actually been told by officials not to do that, but he defied them. He wanted to make this big statement to show his nation the way that he feels it should be seen, as I said, trad- you know, with that traditional attire. He has this, you know, amazing story. He's qualified. In, in taekwondo he then did cross-country skiing two years later which was just insane really you know in mean, Tonga hasn't had snow since well the last ice age or pr- probably didn't even have it then to be honest and then uh, yeah he's now going for a third successive olympics but in a third different sport and trying to qualify in, in sprint canoeing so we went there to his homeland to really discover you know his backstory but also you know about how much of an impact his success has had in terms of changing perceptions in that country and showing kids that there really is, you know, another option out there. Obviously, Tonga is well known for rugby, but not really any other sport. So he's trying to change that and also at the same time, raise awareness about, you know, wider issues, uh, sustainability, the environment, you know, those Polynesian islands are under huge threat because of global warming, rising sea levels. And, you know, by taking on a sport like canoeing, he's trying to, you know, raise awareness of that as well as obviously achieve sporting success. So, you know, yeah, that is that is uh, we've got a. To- um, a picture up on the wall there of, of, of Tonga done by a, a local designer while I was out there, uh, which yeah, obviously means quite a lot. and is a nice memory.
0: I think you hit it on the head there, really, for me, what the Olympics and Paralympics and the Commonwealth Games is about. It's the stories, really, and the way that they can change people and lives. And um, it's great that you've been recognised for that this week, with an honour from the Sports Journalists Association. I wonder, of all the stories that you've covered in the last 12 months or so, is there one that you think, yes, I'm particularly proud of that, and and it's a story that's been brought to the attention of someone who is making a difference.
1: Oh, thank you very much, uh, Mark. I really appreciate uh, your comments. Um, look, I mean, one one thing that I love is is the variety of the stories that I've been able to tell and build up relationships with people over the years, which have enabled people to kind of open up a little bit. I mean, Michael Gunning's story stands out to me in, in many ways you know I mean he describes himself as the uh, black gay swimmer who wants to be the Usain Bolt of the pool I mean that draws you in instantly but having known him over the years you know in our interview he was able to open up quite a bit more and you know he spoke about how at school he was bullied he had acid thrown at him which you know in his own words he doesn't know whether that was because he's black or because of his sexuality if that wasn't sort of serious enough, you know, he was a few years ago also at the Manchester Arena when there was the bomb attack, and he described the impact that had on him, and also the the sort of decisions that it led to in terms of, you know, making the most of his life and the opportunities that he has, because it could have ended so quickly, and how that ultimately led him to deciding to switch from representing England and Great Britain to Jamaica. And now he has this huge role trying to get to Tokyo and, and change perceptions not only about you know swimmers in the caribbean but but black swimmers and he talks quite openly about how people always assume he should be a track and field athlete because of the way that he looks. But we're seeing this growing movement towards trying to change the face of swimming. He's one of those, along with obviously Alice Deering in in the UK, Simone Manuel of the USA, who won gold at the, the Rio Games. So yeah, I think that's one of the ones that I'm most most passionate about. That um, I'm happy to have told over the last twelve months. But but there are there are several, obviously, and and to every athlete who's who's really felt. They want to share their their story with me. You know that that award I I, I dedicated to them really. Well
0: done, Nick. A quick plug for 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 this podcast. We've got Alice Deering coming on on Tuesday to talk about her experiences in Doha. Thanks, Nick. You're going to have to create some space for that trophy, though. I don't know where it's going to go.
1: <laughs> yeah, I might I might have to move one or two of the mascots. Or uh, yeah, I mean, I do have one blank wall. Uh, my girlfriend says I should keep one blank wall uh, for style um, but as you can probably see I'm I'm not really one for the minimalist look so uh, we'll, we'll find some space.
0: <laughs> yeah I think another shelf's going up. Nick thank you very much Anytime. And that's the BBC's Nick Hope honoured this week by the Sports Journalists Association. Check out his work on the BBC Sport website. And that's it for this week. Next week already I've got lined up swimmer Alice Deering who's a marathon swimmer and has just come back from her first competition for over a year in Doha and Ali Jawad, the Paralympic powerlifter, who's getting ready to compete in his first competition for ages and qualify for Tokyo, fingers crossed. And also, I'm hoping to have Ali Brownlee too. In the meantime, thanks very much for listening. Don't forget the back catalogue. Have a listen there. Give me a follow and see you next week. Bye-bye.